I'm Cyrus Hira. And I'm Shazad Mirza. We believe in bringing people together. Throughout our personal and professional lives, we've had the privilege of meeting incredible people. These are people who have inspired us and allowed us to share their stories with the world. This show is our attempt to prove that great things are possible with one secret ingredient. This is the art of conviction. Welcome, everybody. Our guest today founded an incredibly successful insurance agency at the age of 25. Today, she leads a team of seven that is obsessed with providing unparalleled service to our customers. And best of all, she's a super mom juggling two awesome kids. I'm really looking forward to introducing Snezhna Marinkovsky. Snezhna, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Snezhna, take us back a little. Tell us about Snezhna at 18 years old. Just started university. What was that like for you? Oh, you know what? I absolutely loved it. It was one of those uh, experiences that you kind of see in a movie where someone, you know, first walks into a university and is wowed by it all. So I absolutely loved it. I, I, I got to hear conversations people were having that were philosophical conversations. And um, I felt like, wow, I had arrived. Um, so it was pretty interesting starting university that way. Yeah, totally. In fact, you know, I kind of had the same experience. And when I walked in, I just remember the type of people or the individuals that I was speaking to uh, before I started university. And then when I walked in, I was just amazed by the conversations. Could you relate to that? Like, was it, wow, we're finally talking to the people that just matter in our lives or, or have a meaningful thing to say? That You know what, that I think it was just all the different ideas. And I felt like I was in an environment or I was lucky enough to be in an environment where people could express what they felt, but it was done in such a grown-up educational way where there was no yelling or screaming or one point of view or another that we didn't, we listened, we listened to each other and it was awesome. If we could run through that and what you did and where you got through, walk us through how you made your way to owning your own business from university. Um, you know what? I, I think what was really awesome for me in university is I first went in for uh, life sciences majoring in biology because I had this dream of, you know, wanting to help people and I was going to do it by being a doctor and um, being there and doing what I needed to do um, to feel accomplished. I met all kinds of people in different areas of uh, life with different experiences. And um, in that, I also at the same time uh, worked at a walk-in clinic and saw that maybe what I thought this romanticized version was of what I wanted to do wasn't necessarily all it was cracked up to be. Um, and it wasn't something that I could uh, do. Like, I remember this is something, you know, those pivotal moments you have in life. This was something where I remember at, being at a walk-in clinic at the age of 16, 17, and never in my life had I met an addict or knew what an addiction looked like in a person. You right. know, and I yep. remember being at this clinic, you know, and there would be these same people that would always come up and there was just something so off about them when they would ask about a certain prescription or whatever it was. And um, it was scary. And I, I eventually knew all of the names of all of the prescriptions and knew, okay, that's what's happening with that. And that's what's happening with this long before the pill drug culture, I guess, took uh, control over, well, over young people, Right. Um, but, um, that, that made me kind of go, okay, I, I don't know if this is necessarily for me. I'm not, I'm not in the environment that I want to be in. And, um, but it sounds like that, that yeah. didn't really make you want to, um, 
shift your career entirely. Like you still wanted to have some sort of some sort of a career where you would be able to help people, um, just Always. maybe not specifically in that way, right? I think we all, in general, like we all look for helping people and we all want to find a career or a passion or something where yeah, we want to help people. And the great thing about it all was I, without having any sort of sales experience or thinking I ever wanted to go um, in the financial institute kind of direction, banking, all of that, I um, got a part-time job working at a bank and I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the paper way people hmm. treated each other. I fell in love with the uh, the way there was an HR department. You know what I mean? The, you mean you, mean uh, you, can, you can work in a bank us. without being a greedy capitalist? Yeah. Never, never. Of course. <laughs> it, the, the goal is to help at the end of the day. Of no, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a beautiful environment to learn. And yeah, it has and such awesome structure. Yeah, it's crazy because, Snezh, what you're saying relates so much to even my own experiences. When you walked into a bank for the first time, get your own bank account, there was a label to it. You know, in Canada, we only have four or five major big brands as far as banks. So mm -hmm. it's a big deal. Yeah, no. And it was an absolutely awesome experience. And I saw at that point, I'd never sold anything in my life. But at that point, I realized that, you know, it wasn't necessarily sales. I did very well at sales. Yeah. But it wasn't that I ever felt like I was selling anyone anything in life. I really felt like... I have this awesome thing that you need to know about because it's going to help you in your life. So let me share this with you. Let me educate you on why this matters and why you need to have it. And um, people believed in me. So awesome, Snedge. I'm going to take you back for a couple seconds. What was the pinnacle moment that drove you off the ledge to go from saying, hey, I'm going through this medical process. I want to be a doctor um, or I want to be part of the medical profession Mm -hmm. And working for that medical practitioner to saying, hey, I really like I'm, I'm, I'm changing gears. Um, well, you know what? I, I that was part of it. It was that idea that, you know, it, I had romanticized what it meant to be a doctor and like I would be saving lives every day. But it was people coming in with sore throats and asking for prescriptions that were, you know, addicts. Right. And I saw that side of it. And that really threw me off. It was the lack of. um it wasn't as grand as I thought it was and helping as much as I wanted it to be. And mm -hmm. then when I looked at what I was doing in school, I didn't want to do anything with, I looked at, you know, I took chemistry, I took biology, I took calculus. What was I going to do with any of these things? Cause I wasn't a lab person as it wasn't any of those things. And I had this uh, moment where, um, you know, the place I worked really always wanted me to be in on a Saturday and Sunday. Cause I could really just make sure to register people on time and it was efficient. It was clean. So no one was ever allowed to, uh, replace me uh, at my job, but I had a huge exam and that meant I had to get someone to replace me so I could write this exam. And they called me, I remember, and they said to me, no, you need to be in, you can't do this. And I sat in that moment and thought, do you really think I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life? And right. I said, no, I'm not. He's like, well, then you don't have to come in. I'm like, then I quit. It's just the way it is. And I realized, okay, I quit this. I don't want to do this. What do I want to do? And, um, I sadly didn't see any other avenue um, in medicine. I didn't want to do anything else with it, to be honest with you. I didn't want to help in any other way in that area. Wow. So studying medicine ended up, you kind of took a step back. You're realizing, you know what, you're taking away uh, uh, like your employment from a profession that you thought was, was great, but now you realize it's not for you. 
No. You know, describe that journey in between like quitting to starting your own company. How did you get there? I think, you know what, you always, um, you want to be great at what you do and you want to believe in what you do. We mm-hmm. all have this drive. Sure. I And we're lucky enough in the environment that we live in that we can all make our career, our passion project, you know? So I always wanted to help someone no matter what it was and getting into banking after that point and still going to university and finishing off my university, I realized how what I did, because I sold life and disability insurance on mortgages, part-time working from five to 10 at night. And I just saw how people's lives could be changed just with having insurance, how, you know, a father could die, but, you know, his kids still get to live in the house where, you know, they have all those memories with him. Like how awesome is that in life that insurance can do that for you? So awesome. You go from working from one of the biggest banks in the world, uh, selling one of the commodities that everyone needs to all of a sudden going on your own. How did that happen? Um, You know what? I I think I would have ended up uh, staying with um, them for the rest of my life and loved it because I so heartedly believed in them and what they represented. And I was so passionate about making sure that I made not only myself a success within that company, but I wanted them to be a success. Uh, but in all that, I, I, you always, when you're working for this big company, um, you have to follow protocol. So you may think something is right and the right way to do things, but there's so many different protocols in place that you can't do it the way that you feel in your heart um, is the right way to take care of people because you've got to follow protocols and it's got to go through all these different channels for a reason. That's why they are who they are today. Um, and I, you know, on a whim applied to own my own agency, you know, not thinking anything of it that would anything would happen because of it. I'm like, I'm too young. Who would ever give me an opportunity like this? Um, but it was for State Farm, you know, which was the biggest insurance company. Everyone at that time knew State Farm. Out of everybody else, everyone knew State Farm. So I'm like, if nothing else, I'm going to apply with them because I would only consider leaving this organization for them. And uh, they called me. They called me in and they wanted to meet me. And it was just like, are you kidding? Is this really happening? You want to meet me? You believe in me? And uh, it was challenging. It took a good six to eight months um, of going through, you know, six, seven panel interviews and you know, applying to, diff- you got to apply it th- through different channels to finally mm-hmm. get your agency. Right. And at the end, out of all, everyone who applied, they wanted me to open up an agency. And it was just incredible. I, I always, to this day, you know, whenever I see some of those people in the organization, I always say, oh my God, what made you believe in me as a 25-year-old, you know? Actually, you, you, just, you just asked our next question. So yes, why sorry. did they believe in you? Why were you that call? In your opinion, now looking back. You know what? I I can tell you what they've said to me. Uh, To me, I am passionate in whatever I do. Like to me, I, if I don't believe, like there's a part of me that it's, it's not that I want to be a success for me. I want to contribute something so grand and be part of something that, you know, I leave it better than I found it. You know, I, I, I want to, um, contribute in such a way that I add value to an organization or to people's lives, et cetera. But what they always say to me when we have, have had these conversations over the years and I ask, how, how did you pick me over them? And they said, your passion, you know, at the end of the day, 
your passion. We, we saw right off the bat that you just so believed in what you did and you believed in insurance and you believed what it did for people. So, and I find it's very interesting you say passion because I've interviewed people and I've, I've seen people, um, after they've, I've seen their resumes and I've spoken to them and everybody puts on their resume that they're passionate or they're a team player or, you know, all of the keywords that you normally find on a, on a resume. Uh, but the reality of it is that not everybody is actually passionate. When you when you talk to them about you know the job or the 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 industry that they're applying for, um, mm-hmm. they're just putting it on the resume because they want to get hired. Um, yeah, it it it's a it's a special type of person that shows actual interest in what they want to do and a real love for what they want to do. And I think that's what they saw. They they saw something genuine. They didn't just see um, somebody who said that I'm passionate. Um, I think I think that was really the differentiator there for you. But I, I, I got to say the part of that was luck. Like at the end of the it day, was. you know what, to be honest yes. with you, sure. uh, to yeah. me, I, I feel that I am lucky that I found how I could help people in a different way and understood that that was my goal and my mission in life is to help people. And I found that I could do that with insurance. So therefore I fell in love with this industry and wanting it to make, want, wanting to make it better. You know what I mean? I don't feel that everyone necessarily is able to go back to their core values and what they know about themselves and believe in themselves and align it with an industry that gives them that. Mm-hmm. You know, but once you do that, I think we're, we can all be passionate. It's just being able to channel what we stand for and find an industry and a company that aligns with that, right? Yeah, and when you look back at the, you know, sort of the university background of yours, I'm sure if you took a philosophy course that said Fortuna... Oh. You know, is I took the, so many philosophy courses, loved it. <laughs> absolutely. And like Fortuna is this, it's, it's part of the stars being aligned and, you know, somebody calling you randomly and you're like, why am I going to give them five minutes when I'm doing what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And, and what you did is it's pretty incredible. There's not a lot of people. And I think the moment that we could probably talk about here is I think nine out of 10 people would say no, like, you know, just leave me alone. I'm good. I, I got a coasting job for saying Wait a minute, I'm about to take a risk. So this is where I think I wanna yeah. I wanna talk to you about next. So you've you've gone your way through, you got a company yeah. that took a chance on you and really yes. and really did, and and you took a chance on them. So it's day one in your new company. What's yes. going through your mind? Um well we did training for a long while, but day one in my when I opened the doors to my office, like actual do- doors, people can buy insurance through me and talk to me and be my clients. Um, I am freaking out because the phones are not ringing. I've got a phone that I've got to pay for. I've got rent I have to pay for. I have employees I have to pay for. And there's no one calling for a quote. The phone's not ringing. We used to jump when the phone would ring because we'd be like, oh, a call, yay. Yeah, and so for the call, I mean, mean, for the listeners, if we had to, like, at least define mm-hmm. this for them. So at least in the insurance world, there's two types of places. You're either an agent or you're working for an insurance company or you're a broker. You got a few places you can go. But if we were working direct, if you did work for an insurance company, that was managed by a financial institution. So that was very different. You had a marketing engine that was worth yeah. billions of dollars or millions of dollars. Well, it was and an inbound go- team. Right. It was an inbound team. You took inbound calls. So you know what? What did you do with the opportunities when the company gave you those opportunities? So the difference is going from, okay, I know I can do what I can do with an opportunity when someone gives it to me because I believe in what I do. But now it's the idea of 
oh my gosh, I got to get them to call me. I have to create the opportunity for them to call me. So So is that all you had to do? Tell us a little bit about that. What did you really have to do? That, that, that's what, you know what, at the end of the day, I think every one of us make all the hard work that we do, like seems so big, but really it's all of those tiny, small things that we do, right? And the tiny, small things means you open up a phone book and you call a million people and you ask them if they are looking for insurance. And if not, when is their renewal? And can I give you a call back just to see if I can do something better for you? And so, is you know? that what you were doing? And that is that is what we did day one. And we called and we knocked on wow. people's doors wow. and we had follow-up processes. And we are lucky that, you know, I, I work for uh, a company or represent a company as an agent. So I'm not a broker. I represent a company where they helped us with all of that behind the scenes, you know, with right. the systems that I didn't need to buy to you know, um, keep my leads, right. And my prospects. So we did that. And it was fa- some of my most favorite clients. I will tell you this, this is someone I still insure today. Five of them. I remember within the first three, four months, you know, I sold them commercial insurance on their businesses. Another one, we talked on the phone for a good hour, hour and a half to quote him on his, uh, cars. And, you know, I've gotten to see him grow up from this, you know, 26 year old guy to this married man, you know, with, a wife and kid. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, through all that, you know, he's lost uh, his father along the way, but it's just nuts that these are people who gave me an opportunity to talk to them while making an outbound call on their phone back in 2008. It sounds like very difficult conversations that you're having with customers. Oh, for sure. While you're going through a new company that you have to join, they probably have different rules and they're going through different challenges. What are your of thoughts? Course. Yep. So it's year one later. How are things looking yes. now? You, you've been through the struggles. You're picking up the phone. There's probably a lot of changes, rates, et cetera, yep. company brand, difficult conversations with customers going through different parts of their lives and different challenges. How are things looking for you now? And you know what, we, uh, I opened my agency in a hard market. So for a, a hard market for an insurance company means that we are uh, asking for rates and our rates are going up and uh, you're having hard conversations with your clients, you know, when you've just set up their insurance that it's coming up for renewal and the price is increasing. And uh, that was happening not only for a year, but for a long period of time after that, um, as you're trying to build your business. So it's, it's a tough time, um, I guess, to start, some people would say. But I think what it did is I, um, it makes you strong and develop the relationships that matter. The idea is like in insurance, I can never predict price. You know, there are people with like, you know, actuarial degrees, like, uh, you know, they um, are mathematicians, as I call them. And they're the ones who determine if our rates need to go up or down, right? And from there, the government helps if it, if it's auto or not, whether we can actually do it or not. So I can never control any of that. But the cool thing about it all is that I can control in that moment the conversation I have with my customer. And what I, what I can control is the kind of customer service they get. I can never control the price. So I think what it did at that point um, is it strengthens your resilience in a situation and what you stand for. Totally. No, you no, know? we get So I this. can't sell on price. I, I can't, I, if you sell on price, you'll die on price. So it's the value behind it all. It's, it's also the experience and you got this down packed. They get the whole package. They get somebody that's there for them. They, they're there in the moments of time. So this is great. Like I see someone 
you know, you went through a lot of struggles. You know, it it was hard taking a challenge, going from, you know, something that was paid for you from the financial institutions that you work for to now you doing your doing your own hard work mm-hmm. and getting there. So, you know, this part of your success, when did things finally get comfortable? And Cyrus, this is probably something that I think you can probably lead into. Okay, Snezh. So some really great points there you've made. Um, and as, as a business owner, I could definitely relate. It's, it's, I think it's something only that people who have really had to build something from the ground up um, can experience because, you know, everything is resting on your shoulders. Is mm-hmm. there a moment where you kind of felt, you know what, this is, I don't know, is this right? Is this really the right thing for me? Have I, have, you know, should I be pivoting somehow? Um, yeah. Is this an all time low? How did you come out of that maybe? And, and what made you persist? Um, for sure. You know what? It kept getting worse and worse as time went on. Like today, State Farm is no longer in the market. So that gives you an idea. And at a point, you get to a point where you go, do I really want to continue doing this? Um, right. When everything doesn't seem aligned from a price standpoint, we, you know, are more expensive than our competitor by maybe even double the price sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um and you know what? There are moments, and I don't. There are moments that some of my friends said, "I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore." Who right. are other agents? And um, you look around and you think, "What did I come in with? Like, what do I believe in?" And I knew, no matter what, that I will never get another opportunity in life to do it exactly my way. No matter what I do, no matter what company I work for, no matter how high up the ranks I go, I will never get the opportunity to do it exactly my way, the way I think customer service should be. And I think um, that's what kept me there and believing in myself and my brand is because my brand is the way I feel customer service should be for uh, people who have insurance with you from the start of the process to the end, to the claim, to knowing who they are. And um, I believe in that so strongly and I still believe in that so strongly. And I feel like I have a lot of work to do in that area and a difference that I can make for our clients. So I believed in pushing forward and being resilient through all of that because I had something more to give. Yeah, that's a great answer. So when did you actually feel that you were in a good spot? You're comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Things are ticking away. <laughs> uh, I'm happy with things now. I'm in a good place. When when, when did you feel you that? You never, that ever, ever feel that. <laughs> you never, ever, ever feel that. Yeah. And it, that's the good thing about it is right. I, I don't ever feel like I'm done. There's nothing that's ever comfortable because there's more people we can help. You know, there's different ways of doing it. I, I honestly think I, the next 10 years are going to be better and more transforming than the last 12. And right. um, because you've got so much more that you want to do and how you can see this differently, all the other mistakes you've made along the way, how you can fix that and make it better. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like you also feel like there's more to learn as as a professional. Learning is obviously, as they say, a always. lifelong process, right? I mean, yes. there's always something you can learn. Um, I think it's a famous quote from Bill Gates, something like, your most unhappy customers are your greatest source of learning. I think that's really true in this case. There's there's always an opportunity to do better. So I think I think that's what you're alluding to. Okay. So it's 2020. The podcast wouldn't be complete if we didn't really talk about COVID for, for five minutes. Um, I'm sure it's impacted your industry as it's impacted every industry vertical. What sort of challenges are you facing today, either COVID-related or not COVID-related? Maybe there's something specific to insurance that's kind of changed in the last little while. Mm-hmm. What sort of challenges are you guys dealing with today as an industry? Um, I think as an industry, you know, we definitely, uh, innovation is a big thing, obviously, uh, talent, right. And, uh, an aging, um, talent, 
Um, so where are we going to get people? Um, how are we going to keep them motivated? You know, how do we have access to people that may live in Barrie, but we want them to work in Mississauga? So all of right. that maybe on a grand scale, but on a smaller scale, like an agency and my customers, let's say, um, some of the big things that matter is that we are a commodity market, right? Like at the end of the day, you yep. know, um, especially when you think about home and auto is what price am I going to pay? And I want to pay the cheapest possible. Um, and it's changing that mind shift uh, for the team, the people that you hire, but also your customers to know that, you know what, there are certain things in life that uh, you can't commoditize that way uh, because you get what you pay for, right. you know? Yep. And, um, you know, unfortunately, if you, it's going to be bottom of the line prices, then that's not going to be someone who's going to be able to call you, email you whenever, and you can leave a message and have everything taken care of, right? So I think that's something that will always be a challenge in insurance because it's a product that we can't touch, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and in today's market with um, COVID, it's, we've had to learn how to work from home and be available for our customers for what matters to them most at that point, regardless of what we needed to accomplish. and you know, having to call from our cell phones uh, because we all were working from home, not having access to our phone lines, um, you know, working late so we can make sure that our customers um, have us available to take care of their needs, right? Um, knowing that, you know, our supporting channels also are working from home. So it was definitely um, tough to get used to um, the situation that we've been in during uh, COVID-19, but um, it's strengthened us as a team. It's strengthened our relationship with our clients because they know we were there for them regardless, you know, they know that, you know what, they can call email or call uh, or leave a message and we're going to get back to them no matter what. But that means you also need to make sure that, you know, the people that are in your office with you representing your brand of customer service, believe in what you believe in, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And you find the right people that share that belief system with you because if you can't do it alone, so you, you need a team with you to help you do that. Right. And everything else, you know, whether it's our IT issues and no one has Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know, all the rest of that can be dealt with as long as you've got someone there with you. Who's like, you know what, we're going to get through this. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's always a challenge. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people in the service industry have had to, to really bolster up on their, um, their empathy, their customer service, really ramp it up to, to show people that it's, they weren't just doing it to get business. Um, yeah. This is a real test, I think, for organizations that have to deal with people or provide some type of service. It, it's a yeah. true, it's a true test of whether or not you can, you can make it or break it in an industry where, when push comes to shove and, and things really get difficult for an entire economy, are you there to collect mm -hmm. that paycheck and do whatever you can to save your own behind, or are you mm -hmm. thinking forward a little bit that when you come out of this yeah. thing? And it, I, I find actually this is very common in real estate, and one of the first things I saw. Uh, as soon as COVID hit was all of these real estate people trying to sell property um, because they felt like, you know, in eight months they might not have a job. And I, I, I posted something on social media because I felt really frustrated. And I said, this is not the time. Like, I get it. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to be out of a job in eight to nine months, but this is not the time to sell product. It's the time to be a trusted advisor. It's yeah. the time to give people genuine advice that's actually going to help yeah. them so that they can stop and think about the difficulties that are ahead. Uh, and yeah. then, you know what? When everybody comes out of this, guess who the first person is going to be that they call? Always. Um, and I think I think that's what you've done, and, and it's a really great thing. It's it's a serve, not sell motion yeah. that we absolutely, it comes from in the heart. That's right. It does. And you've got, but you, the thing is, you've got to have people by your side that feel that way. And I think that's one of right. the biggest thing is, 
even if the house is burning down, you know, I say like, unless we have to tell our client that this is what's happening, we wait on hold forever and we have these crazy IT issues, but they don't need to know any of that. They need to know that, hey, you need this done. Give me four hours. You know, we're running a little behind. I promise you I will take care of it. If not, I'm going to call you back and let you know what's happening. And as long as people know that you're doing something for them, people in general are all very nice and understand the issues that we all may face. As long as you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you a call back. And you hold to that. And even if you don't have an answer, you still call them back. When you say you're going to call them back, they're like, hey, thank you for that. No problem. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's just such such small things, but they mean so big to every one of us because we all know we've never gotten the call back. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, Sinej, a lot of what we have to deal with as professionals is obviously the balance. You hear it all the time. How do I balance work and personal life? Uh, if I've got kids, definitely for somebody in your position who, who owns an organization and they, you know, they're responsible for multiple people, you're also responsible for your kids. And, and that sometimes is so difficult to deal with if you don't have a proper system in place, if you don't have a type of personality that can lend well to that. So how have some of your professional experiences as a, as a business owner affected your personal life? Um, you, you know what, I, cause I love what I do and it gives me such excitement and passion. I enjoy it. So I enjoy being there. Um, and in that state, but, um, having kids, I also, uh, have to turn that part off and be a mom, Yeah. um, and have fun and dance with them and be silly and goofy and eat Nutella out of the jar on our kitchen floor. And nice. what I try and do and I, is I try and turn it off. But one of the big things I always said to myself is because I am a manager at the end of the day. Is I always said to myself, no matter what, my kids should get this version of me at home. I shouldn't come home from all the stresses and annoyances at work and my kids get, you know, a less than mom and, you know, uh, I'm a great manager or vice versa. Right. So I try to bring a lot of fun in everything we do and try to turn working mom off as soon as I get home and we do silly, stupid things that... They see me um, as a kid with them and we dance around and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, you know what? Then I turn that off and I'm back at work and I am a let's go get it and let's get this done. And um, it's hard. It has its challenges because you'll always feel guilty on whichever side you're at. You're getting an email at nine o'clock that you're like, oh, I really need to look right. at this, yep. but I'm Been not there. going to. Yeah. Right. Or you get that. Oh, my gosh, mama, I'm so sad. Why are you going to go to work now? Now I love you. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> uh-huh. but I have to go to work. That's the worst, right? Yeah. And you have to go to work, right? And yeah. it, it, it's it's always sad on both sides, but you know you're doing it for a reason. And they get to see, especially now uh, being a single mom, they get to see like what their mo- the stuff their mom's made of. So I feel proud almost getting to show them that we can do all this and we can be such well-rounded people right? Um, and be good people, you know? So that's kind of my goal in life. We'll see how it gets us there because he's only one and a half and she's four. <laughs> Call me back in 20 years and we'll see. That's right. <laughs> Snatcher, was there something in your life that helped you to form the values and principles that you have now to where you are today? Um, I think um, the idea of hard work and you never quit no matter what and things will get hard, but you keep moving. And um, I think a big thing is uh, being. Um, uh, child to immigrant parents, you know, they brought me and my brother over here from Europe in 89 as a seven and five year old. And, you know, and this is the immigrant story that was of the eighties is, or now even, um, the idea that you have these educated parents who, you know, don't speak English, they come over here and, uh, totally. they, 
have labor uh, intensive jobs, you know, and uh, they do that for you, you know, and they sacrificed all of that for you. So uh, in your mind, you already have such respect and love for them that these people did this for you and a better life for you that you go, I've got to make you proud that way. And then, you know, growing up seeing, you know, how they always held true to their values, their ethics, you know, they did everything right, like straight and arrow, you know, you always are kind to people, you do yeah. nice things for people to be just a good person, not what you get from it. And that teaches you the kind of person you need to be, right? So you do, you always work hard and you always do right with the idea of helping people in mind and you're always going to be successful because yeah, nothing is going to get absolutely. in the way of that. I think the the generation of affinity going from being a, you know, a people person to going to something of like having a commodity, there there's value in that. And absolutely our parents, I think uh, we see that in them. And I certainly think that you, you, you see that in your parents as well. So that's awesome. For sure. For sure. And I think when you get to these like tough parts in life and sometimes, you know, people question your character. So I'm very bubbly. Like, you know, I, I'm sure this is me calm. <laughs> you know, I'm always incredibly bubbly, nice. And I care about what you've done and I am excited to talk to you. And, um, you know, there are uh, times when, you know, you're faced even with coworkers when I was young and it would just be disheartening. I remember hearing, you know, at one point, wow, you're like way too nice and bubbly. Like, this is fake. Why don't you just be real? And I remember hearing someone saying that to me as advice. And it was like a woman who I kind of looked up to. And I thought to myself, oh my God, you really think that I am being fake rather than this is my character? So you can easily just fall at that and change who you are. And I'm like, no, I am bubbly, happy-go-lucky. And that's what you're going to get. And if that does not work for you, bye <laughs> next person you know um so that other things that sometimes you hear where you know you meet me and I'm so bubbly and excited and all of that that maybe you have this opinion of who I am and then when I sit down and I talk about you know serious matters you know I've had uh, others say to me wow you're like really really smart too you know and it, it, and I know it was wow. meant as a compliment I, right I, and it was meant as a compliment so I know what they were trying to say but to me it was kind of like so, you know, when you meet me, you automatically think that I can't be that smart because of being as bubbly as I am, you know? Is it or is it just what men are transitioning into understanding that women have a path? Like, it, it, obviously, there there is a scenario here that we can tell right away, you're too bubbly. Who's saying this kind of stuff? Is it men or women? Why are they putting you in that path? And um, you know, what would you give them as far as advice being nice and fake? Why are you who you are? Um, you know what? I, I think I, I've had bad experiences with both, to be honest. You know, I think sometimes as a woman, the if it comes from a woman, it hurts you because you're like, are you kidding? Like, you know, we're on the same team. Yeah, I, right. I Every version of a female, I would take like, what's your story? I will accept you with open arms. Like, I don't judge you that way at all. Yeah. I never would. So I think it's a little, it's a little more hurtful that way. Like, mm -hmm. he, like, here's another part, even when I, you know, I got a little bit of a book of business because an agent retired. And I remember this was something that it's always stuck with me. I called one of these clients and I was speaking to them. I'm like, I'm so excited to have you in my office. You know, you guys have to come in. We make these great lattes, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, at that point she said to me, she's like, do you really think I would let my husband deal with you? And I was it broke my heart to hear that because I'm like, what kind of judgments are you making about me based on a picture that you've seen? 
and because I I am not the kind of person that judges anybody on yeah. anything except. So you don't expect that. You because, don't, cause and you you're shocked. Yeah, because you don't do that. So how how long did it take you to come to that realization in that conversation? That wow, they're judging you on an image that. Right. You know what you portrayed that you didn't portray. Like this is somebody else's own, their own. Here's thought. the thing. This is why you always go back to the values and principles you were raised with. You could let people like that get you down in life, or you could just say, this isn't what my parents have taught me. My parents have taught me to always be kind. This is what I stand for in life. Right. So if what I look like or how I speak or how nice I am to you or how smart I sound in this moment means that you're going to have this image of me that isn't the whole picture that's on you and you not giving me a chance, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I, I hope I never do that to anyone. I, I like the idea, even when I hire today, you know, here's what I always say. My biggest thing, when I hire today, I'm lucky enough that I live in a world where, you know what, I essentially have an HR system in my little office, you know, um, from, you know, how they apply to what they say, how it rates them, et cetera. I don't look at your name until I am ready to call you for an interview. Right. I don't care what your name is. I don't care about any of those things. I, I, I don't care. I don't care your gender. I don't even try like, you know, to assume whether you're a man or a woman. I don't care. So Sneja, any advice for people in a similar position wanting to pursue the same path? Uh, what would you tell somebody who is, you know, maybe your age, 25, trying to get into this? Uh, what do they need to know? Uh, the sky is the limit. Believe in your dreams. Uh, work hard. There's going to be obstacles that come along the way. Anything good that you're fighting for in life, there'll always be obstacles. Keep working, keep pushing, keep pushing, and you'll get to higher and higher places. And again, just believe in the power of your dreams and what you want to accomplish. Okay, beautiful advice. Well, on that note, we've reached the end of our episode. Snezhna, thank you so much for joining us today. We had a great conversation. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on The Art of Conviction. You can visit our website at anchor.fm slash artofconviction, where you can subscribe so you never miss an episode. Be sure to check the show notes as well for more information about our guests and us, your hosts, Shazad Mirza and myself, Cyrus Hira. While you're at it, tell your friends and colleagues about us too. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Art of Conviction is produced by Blueprint Sound.